I wonder if I could uh, ask you, uh, we've done a lot of up and down this morning, but I wonder if I could ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 18. And we're going to be considering this morning verses 1 through 17. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible 1995 edition. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming to me, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night, and will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? And He also told this parable to some uh, people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And they were bringing their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. You may be seated. So, Jesus begins uh, by making a statement, Luke chapter 18, people ought always to pray and not to lose heart. And then he tells two stories, and then Luke records the incident of these children coming, and uh, one must wonder, what uh, do... an uh, a widow and an unjust judge 
a, a Pharisee and a tax collector and a bunch of babies and little children have in common, and how does that relate to prayer? And I think as we go through this, I tell you, as I was preparing this message, I started to get excited, excited, because this is an exciting message about prayer. Jesus is trying to communicate something to us that is uh, so important. And uh, I, I really want us to get it this morning because I think it will change uh, the way that you approach God in prayer. First of all, uh, God is both interested and attentive. You know, the story about the persistent widow and the ungodly judge is especially interesting, particularly uh, because of the fact that the main point is not what it first appears. You would think that this story would be about being persistent in prayer, about being willing to come again and again, about uh, sticking by the stuff until you get an answer. And actually, there is a story like that. We've already studied it earlier in Luke. And uh, Jesus tells a story similar to that involving a widow that has to do with underscoring uh, persistence. You know, sometimes we pray for things and then we go away and we don't even remember what we prayed for. Well, you can't argue that you wanted it very much if you can't remember an hour after prayer meeting or an hour after your quiet time. But, uh, but Jesus talks about uh, having something that is so important to you that you come back to God and come back to God. But that's in another place. The point that he is making in this story is that this widow comes to this unjust judge and asks him again and again and again to meet her need. She wants him to uh, address the issue, and he finally says, well, I'm not getting anywhere with this woman. She will not go away. So because she won't go away, I'm going to grant her Petition. But you know, the main point of the story that Jesus is making here is that God is not an unjust judge. In fact, he's drawing a contrast between the attitude of this judge who is indifferent and unmoved by this woman's plight. He only responds because she's wearing him out. And God's nature, which is radically of a different sort. The things that Jesus wants us to take away from this story is that God will give help to those who call on Him. Ever wonder if God is interested? Ever wonder if He's listening? Ever wonder if He's paying attention? God will give help. To those who call on him. David uh, said in uh, one of my favorite statements in the Psalms, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Who is there to help me? He says, I'm looking all around and I don't see anyone that can come to my aid. And then he says, but I thank God who made heaven and earth. God is the one who is able to meet 
my need and to address me. Secondly, Jesus underscores the fact, and it's highlighted there, that he will respond quickly. You know, we may not always feel like our prayers are being answered right away, but Jesus assures us that God is on top of it, that he will respond quickly. It takes a certain kind of faith to believe when you don't see something right away that God is at work, that He has already started the solution in motion, that it has begun. Sometimes people have to be prepared. Sometimes you have to be prepared. Sometimes your eyes have to be open to a different kind of circumstances. Uh, sometimes you have to look at a thing in, in a different light. But when we pray, Jesus says God responds quickly. He doesn't delay. He doesn't uh, just kind of ignore you until you wear Him out. Uh, as soon as you turn to Him in faith, He goes to work on the thing that you're bringing to Him. So that in a relatively uh, short period of time, in fact, we could say precisely on time, the answer will come. You may say to me, well, won't that happen anyway? I mean, if I, don't, if I pray today and I don't see it this afternoon, uh, isn't it going to work out the same eventually? No. James says you do not have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you're so concerned about consuming it on your own lust. But Jesus is letting us know that God, in fact, when we ask, goes to work on our behalf. Which is why he says men ought always to pray and not to lose faith or not to lose hope. Thirdly, He is intimately acquainted with our need. God knows what you need before you ask Him. He does wait for you to ask. But He already knows your need. In fact, David says in Psalm 139, He knows the number of hairs that are on my head. He knows my thoughts from afar. That's a poetic way of saying He knows what I'm thinking before I think it, before it even emerges into my conscious mind. God is aware of the ruminations of my mind. He knows what's going on inside of me. David says He knows when I sit down and when I rise up. How many times this morning since we've been here? Have you sat and then stood, and sat and stood, and God has paid attention to each one? If He were willing to answer the question right now, we could say, God, would you give us the sequence and order in which everyone in this room stood and sat? I don't think that's a metaphor. I think it's quite literal. I think God is very interested in each one of us. And, and David is simply picking these points out to say that He cares intimately about our situation. There's no problem that's too small for Him. There's no problem that's too big for Him to handle. 
There's no problem that he's not aware of. There's nowhere you can go to get away from his presence. God is always ready to meet you and to know exactly what the solution should be. And so Jesus wants to encourage us. He's not this unjust judge who's aloof and indifferent. And finally, He is attentive to our need and to our cries. You know, it's interesting, in the book of Exodus, when God uh, calls Moses out, and you remember that meeting that Moses has at the burning bush, and uh, God is singling him out to go back to Egypt and to let my people go. And God says, I have heard their cry. He doesn't say, I have heard their prayer. He says, I have heard their cry. God has been paying attention to their brokenness, to their neediness, to their desperation. He's been listening to the cry. And He's fully aware of what the need is. He is more than willing to come to our rescue and to meet our need. Secondly, in the second story of this passage, um, Jesus t- talks about uh, two people who go to pray. He says one of them was a Pharisee. And we're specifically told that he tells this story to deal with those who are uh, self righteous and religious you know, who think that they have merit. He says, there was this Pharisee, he goes to the temple, and he says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like those sinners. Now, you know, we have to be very, very careful. There are times when it's appropriate to say, Lord, I thank you that but for the grace of God, that would be me. You know, and, and sometimes you look at a person in desperate situation or broken situation and you say, God, it's your grace that has kept me from going that direction. But this Pharisee has a totally different attitude about it. He's saying, I, I have not been like this. I have maintained righteousness. I uh, am not guilty of sin and I'm certainly not like that tax gatherer over there. Uh, I, I am one that you should really listen to and, and pay attention to because I'm, I'm a goody guy. So many times, spiritual pride begins to develop in our hearts. It's pretty insidious. But we begin to believe that God somehow owes us. Look at how faithful I am. Look at my tithe. Look at how often I attend services. Look at how much I pray. Why I meet people every day, Christians that don't read their Bible. Look how much I read my Bible. Look how much uh, good I do. And then begins to develop an attitude of spiritual pride that I have a right to approach God and to expect something from Him. Jesus said, on the other hand, there was a tax collector. And all he could do as he stood in the temple was to beat his breast and say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh God, have mercy on me. 
he came into the presence of God as a broken man who looked at his life and did not like what he saw, who implored the grace of God to somehow change who he was, who wanted God to have grace and compassion on him because he felt so destitute. You know, many people do not pray because they believe they're unworthy or they believe their sin disqualifies them. But God welcomes everyone who comes recognizing their need. When's the last time that you uh, sought to go into the presence of God and you heard something like this in your mind? You can't pray. God's not going to listen to you. Remember what you did just an, an incident is brought to mind. God's angry with you. You don't deserve any help from Him. You need to get better before you can come to God. You need to work it out. Do you recognize whose voice that is? And let me clue you into something. It may be true in terms of what you did. It wouldn't be very effective to accuse you of something you didn't do. But the accuser of the brethren picks out something that you have done. And he uses it as a lever to convince you that until you get this straight, God is not going to hear you. He's not going to be listening to you. He'll even quote the scripture to you. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But you need to look at where that psalm occurs and uh, where it was written. And you need to look at the gospel of grace. I'm not saying that God will not deal with your sin. But what I'm telling you is that you have a relationship with your heavenly Father You have His Holy Spirit inside of you. He invites you to come to His throne. And if you you come to Him with a broken and contrite heart and willing uh, to allow Him to minister to your heart and to your life, to, to change you, God is more than happy to respond to you. Another thing that that people uh, sometimes believe is that they get in a crisis. Uh, you know, yeah, they were they were naughty, but now they've got real trouble, and they find themselves in the emergency room, or they find themselves in a disaster, or they find themselves with a diagnosis that scares the life out of them, or they lost their job, and now they really need to reach out to God. And the devil says, you can't do that. You don't have any right to pray. You need to fix your life. You need to clean things up before you can come and ask. 
Friends, there's only one solution for the flesh, and that's crucifixion. You can't fix it. You can't patch it. You can't improve it. It just needs to go to the cross. And you can't do that. You need God to step in and deal with the sin that's in your life. But that does not mean you cannot cry out to Him in a moment of crisis. He loves you. He cares for you. Just think for a moment and put yourself in God's shoes. He's our heavenly Father, our heavenly Parent. Suppose you just had a blowout with your six-year-old. And uh, he has been belligerent and disobedient and spiteful. And tension is just rife between the two of you. And then all of a sudden, uh, without thinking, he runs out into a parking lot, not looking, and a car strikes him. What are you going to stand there on the sidewalk with your arms folded and say, Well, kid, serves you right. You know, you deserve that. And when you get right with me and, and, and ask for forgiveness and, and tell me you're sorry for your behavior, I might come help you. Really? What parent would do that? How quickly is all of that thrust aside as you rush to His aid. There's time to deal with that later. But the immediate crisis demands instant attention and comfort and help and intervention. Don't think that God is going to stand there with His arms folded and say, well, (laughs) if you'd been living better, you wouldn't have gotten into this mess. So you just figure out how to deal with it. When you get straight, uh, then you can talk to me again. God is more than willing to meet you in that moment. You know, Peter gets out of the boat. He's all full of faith and excitement. And then he looks at the waves and he begins to sink. Simplest prayer, I think, in the Gospels. Lord, save me. He's not talking about eternal salvation. He's talking about, right now, get me out of this water. Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately responds to him. He didn't let him bob down three times to, you know, see what it feels like. And say, oh, you can only go twice because three is when you're down for good, right? No, he doesn't do that. He immediately responds. Friends, we have these notions about prayer that have been taught more by the devil than by God. We have these ideas that we can't pray in certain circumstances. And Jesus says, we ought always to pray and not to lose heart. There is never a time when we cannot pray. There is never a circumstance when we cannot go to our Heavenly Father There's never a time when God is not listening to us. And by the way, if if you're stuck in sin and you're struggling and kind of circling the drain, so to speak, on a problem in your life, 
What better place to go than like the tax collector going to God and saying, God, I need mercy. (laughs) I'm stuck here. I, I can't fix this. I disappoint you and I disappoint me. And I'm just a mess. And I need your help. I really need you to to deal with me. I don't like this. I need you to intervene in my life. God loves that. He's waiting for that. It's what He's best at. Finally, we have this incident. It's not a story. It's a... It's an event that happens in the context of these stories that some of the parents were bringing their babies and their little children to Jesus and asking Him to touch them. You know, that just that we just want to get, we want your hand upon them. And the disciples see what's going on and they say, wait a minute, you can't bother Him with this trivia? Take these kids and go away. I mean, leave this man alone. He's here to teach and he's Messiah. And Jesus uh, sees what they're doing and he says, No, no, suffer the little children to come to me. Because this is what the kingdom of God is like. These these kids. I, I want them to come and gather around me. And experience me. You know, besides uh, the, the qualities of a child that, that make us uh, near to God, there, you know, there's the other reality that the most impressionable age for a person to come to faith in Christ is under the age of 18. And the likelihood goes up as the age regresses. And as people get older, it becomes more and more difficult. I'm praying for people that are friends of mine that are in their 70s and 80s. And I have a hard time sometimes having faith. Because they're so hard. They're not bad people. They're just not thinking about God much anymore. Their hearts are not tender. But the heart of a child is impressionable. It's tender. Uh, You can speak to them about Jesus. And you can lead them to the Savior. I was seven years old when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And at the age of seven, I felt God's tug upon my life to be a preacher and a proclaimer of His truth. Don't underestimate what's going on in the lives of children. And then when my dad died of cancer when I was uh, in high school as a freshman, And it broke my heart, and it made me angry, and I got angry with God and disillusioned, and for a while, uh, I uh, lived in rebellion to God. And there was a young lady in my chemistry class that knew that I had been a professing Christian, and she kept challenging me. 
until finally there came a time when I did surrender my heart again and my life and, and my being uh, to Jesus Christ. And her testimony was, I was four years old when I climbed up in my father's lap and said to him, Daddy, I know that I have sinned and I know that I need Jesus. Would you pray with me? Four years old. And she had lived for him ever since that day. Do not underestimate the impact that the gospel will have on the heart of a child. But do not underestimate the power that exists in the heart of a child relative uh, to what makes the kingdom of God like children. Jesus says, unless you become like these children, you're not going to be able to enter the kingdom. There are qualities that they have that you need to make you eligible for the kingdom. First of all, uh, worldly wisdom and achievements and stature do not equate to status with God. In fact, it's quite the contrary. The Scripture says, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you know how not many wise in this world's ways, not many prudent, not many uh, accomplished, ever find the kingdom of God. It is rare when someone who is so well uh, trained and developed and self-confident that they will bend the knee to Christ. How God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise and, and the simple things of the world to, to bring to, the, to, to knees those uh, who uh, think they've got it all together and have the answers. Friends, there's a requirement that in order to come to God, we must recognize that He is God and I am not. And furthermore, that He is the one who sustains me. He's the one who gives me life. I breathe because He gives me air. Don't assume that you're the one who has the strength and the power to do all that you do. We've talked about that before. I don't care what accomplishments you've had. Name me one of them that you could have done without help or strength or ability or oxygen or food. Just name me something that you can do without the sustaining grace of God. Because we live, we think we're living. But the Scripture is very plain that God makes His sun to shine on the just and the unjust. To a farmer, that's like saying, I'm the one that provides your crops. I bring the sun, I bring the rain. Whether you're godly or not, I'm taking care of you. No one can brag and say, I'm a self-made person. Because you're not. God has made you. And so Jesus says you need to be like a child, and, and there's a certain simpleness to a child. Now, some people 
confuse being simple with being stupid. They're not the same. You can be very smart, you can be very intelligent, and still be simple in your mind. When we talk about someone who's simple-minded, we typically mean someone who's mentally challenged. But you can be very intelligent, and yet when it comes to God, simply believe what He tells you. You don't have to sort out all the details. You don't have to tie up all the loose ends. You don't have to figure everything out. Explain to me the hypostatic union of the God-man-person in Christ. That's a bunch of theological mumbo-jumbo for God is both fully God and fully man. Explain that to me. Explain to me the Trinity. Explain to me the inspiration of Scripture and how God guided the authors to write without error everything they put down. Explain that. Explain how God defies the natural laws to intervene and interpose His will in a moment of need and work a miracle. Explain that. You see, a child believes those kinds of things. And they don't have to have all the details. The, the simpleness comes in that old saying, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I get in those kind of conversations all the time. People... Uh, want to challenge and argue and rationalize and reason about all kinds of issues. And I don't begrudge anyone for wanting to think something through. That's commendable. But at the end of the day, when you've gotten a headache from thinking too hard, A.W. Tozer said the end of all study of theology is intended to bring us on our knees before an awesome God and to worship Him. If you could figure Him all out and you could contain it all, you would be God. And we're not even close. We're not even close. So you can't do that. A child's not bothered by that. But the uh, erudite... <laughs> And the intellectuals and the rationalists are. They, they want to have answers. But simple is also not the same as being ignorant. Being stupid is one thing. Being ignorant means you need to grow. You need to learn. People can be ignorant and be very smart. But they need to develop. And in the economy of God, in the process of walking with Him and, and learning His ways, it is intended that we gradually develop in maturity. That we do learn the ways of God. That we read His Word. That we talk with Him. That we experience Him. So that over time we come to understand His mind and, and the way He operates and we can uh, learn to, in a sense, anticipate Him. 
in the sense that we have learned that His ways are not our ways. And His thoughts, He doesn't think like we do, but the person who pursues Him, you read that sequence in 1 John chapter 2, and He talks about little children that have come to know Jesus and young men that are strong and the Word of God abides in them. They've overcome the evil one. And then uh, the fathers, the mature in the faith, know God. You can still be simple and be growing in your knowledge and understanding. And we need to do that. So what are the qualities of a child in relation to the kingdom of God that make them so appealing? Well, first of all, they recognize that they're dependent and helpless. And if you think otherwise, you're deluded. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. You really don't have any power. You really can't accomplish anything. Well, you can point to the world and people that are doing all kinds of things, but Jesus says it doesn't amount to anything at the end. They have wasted their lives operating independently of me. That is the essence of the original sin. I don't need God. Yes, you do. And a child, I'm not saying they figure this out, they're not even capable of abstract thinking. But what does a child do when they're wet? They cry. Somebody change me. What do they do when they're hungry? They cry. Somebody feed me. What do they do when they're hurt? They run to mom or dad. Somebody help me. Uh, whatever they need, they need a parent to do it. Of course, the goal is to bring them to maturity, but a child is dependent and at some level, they recognize that. Even if they can't intellectualize it, they may not even be able to talk yet. But they know, I have a need and that person will meet it. And we are to be like that with God. We need to be trusting and confident in the parent. God looks out for us. He cares for us. He's interested in us. He wants to, to, to uh, meet us and comfort us and give us security. He, he provides an open lap and open arms and says, crawl up here and let me hold you. That's His nature. Guys, don't go all macho on me and, and, and reject that image. I remember reading a, a, a book um, about a guy that was the chief of surgery in uh, Iowa at, at uh, a major hospital. And, um, you know, he was training future doctors. And the, the whole philosophy was to become uh, isolated emotionally from the patients. Just do technical medicine, provide care, and don't get wrapped up. And don't respond emotionally to them. And there was this old guy that was like 75 or 80 years old that was still practicing medicine. And uh, there was one scene in the movie and in the book where the uh, residents who were on their rounds 
come into the room where this old doctor is beside his patient. He's holding her hand and he's weeping. And they go out in the hall and make fun of him. That, that he's, you know, an old fool. And then this chief of surgery is diagnosed with cancer. And he needs chemotherapy and he needs a surgery and he finds himself sitting in the waiting room of the oncology unit with the other patients, waiting to see one of these technical physicians. And he feels so alone and so put off. He said, the first thought that occurred to me, and this is a guy in his 60s, he said, the first thought that occurred to me was, I want my mother. I want my mother. And then he gets in the office, and this guy is just cold as ice. And he wrestles through a decision. And finally he goes to the old guy to be his doctor through this crisis. Because he needed someone who cared. You know, guys, we need someone who cares. Sometimes we want our mommy. Don't tell me you don't. Sometimes you just want to be held. Sometimes you just need to be comforted. Sometimes... You just need to rest in safe arms. And God is a place of safety. Wise people know that. And finally, a third thing about little kids is they are filled with wide-eyed wonder. Don't they get amazed at the most interesting things? They discover things. You ever have that experience of a grandchild or a child come running to you and telling you about something you haven't even thought about for decades because it's so commonplace? And, and, and they learn about it. I can tie my shoes. I can tie my shoes. Isn't that wonderful? I can tie my shoes. Wow. Uh, big accomplishment. You know? They just get excited about stuff. You know, we walk along and see the ducks and think, well, those are ducks. And a little child walks along and they're jumping up and down with excitement because they saw the ducks. God is looking for people that will have that kind of wonder and amazement. That will before Him wait for the exciting moment that He has planned. So, He invites us to come like a child, dependent, helpless, trusting, confident, full of wonder, full of amazement. Here's the good part, the summary. Think about these lessons on prayer. Think what they're telling us. God is not an unjust judge. He's sitting on the edge of His throne. 
with his eyes on you, waiting for you to call out to him. Remember Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will joy in His love. He's so interested. Secondly, you don't have to meet any spiritual criteria to cry out to Him. He's always willing to hear you. The only thing He has a problem with is when you're proud and arrogant. But when you recognize that you're needy, God is responsive. So don't feel like there's ever a time when you can't pray. Jesus told the stories to illustrate that we ought always to pray and not to lose heart. And finally, the more simple-minded you are in a sense, the more trusting, the more confident, the more uh, accepting you are of the love and care of God, the more secure you are in His might and in His power. So who here this morning can't pray? God wants to hear from you. He wants you to talk to Him. And there's never a time when you cannot approach Him with boldness and confidence because He is interested in you. you believe that? Gracious Father, we come to You this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like children... We believe what you've said. We believe these lessons are true. And I come this morning asking you to touch your people, each and every one, not jumbled together in a whole group. I ask that you touch every single one. And wherever they are struggling in relating to you, give them confidence this morning to approach your throne, to ask for what they need. Lord, reach us, convince us, invite us. To come to you with everything in our lives in trusting confidence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.